This morning, I'd like to begin our time by asking you to think about a think about a gift that you've received at some point in your lifetime that you would say was just it, it was just wonderful. Maybe because it was totally unanticipated, or, or maybe it was exactly what you wanted or needed. Maybe it was much more than you expected or thought you deserved, but for whatever reason, it just stands out in your mind as being a a wonderful gift. One of the pleasures of being a pastor is to watch the Lord through His people choose to bless the church with all sorts of gifts. And, And because they're given to the church, there's the added benefit of not only receiving the gift, but also then watching that gift in turn be a blessing to so many others. So it's received but then it's also shared. So for example, a number of years ago now, a family gave our church a beautiful truck. And I realized you might say, oh, come on, Pastor Virus, trucks aren't, they're they're not wonderful. This one was, this one was, it had heavy duty suspension. It had a diesel engine with plenty of power, had a club cab for passengers. It was totally unexpected. And the great thing is we, we ran that truck in the ground. We used it to move all sorts of families in our church who were moving around town, hauling things all over the place for different ministry opportunities. So it was wonderful when it was received. It was wonderful when we got to use it to be a blessing to so many different people. It was a great, great gift. Some of you remember back in 2005, a family from outside of our church came to us and said that they had a, in their minds, they called it a tax problem. They had just sold a business, and they were going to have a a large tax bill to pay unless they made a charitable gift to somebody. And so they said, listen, we've got 100 acres of property, and it has a barn that's uh, dating back to the 1800s. It's been partially restored. There's a house on the property, and we'd like to find some entity that we can give that to, but that's not going to completely address the tax challenge unless we also put some cash on top of that. And they said, would faith be willing to accept this gift? And um, so we're, we're spiritual people, right? So we prayed about it, of course. And um, I think it was three seconds, maybe four. And, um, and then we received the, the gift that is Bethany Farms, now the um, home to our men's restoration ministry. And, and all of that started, humanly speaking, because somebody just chose to, to give us a gift. And it was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Same thing happened several years ago when the 90 acres of property that's contiguous to Faith East became available. And when that happened, at least for me personally, I I was concerned about our church making a purchase like that. We were just in a position, I thought that would be stretching us um, too much. So I was dragging my feet and dragging my feet. And um, a, a family just bought the property and gave it to this church. And so when you think about the incredible gift, and some of you, you've been around here long enough, you were back um, when the church was on South 18th Street, and when we were landlocked. This was before I was here, but I've heard these stories about when the church was landlocked, and it was so hard to find any piece of property. Finally, we were able to buy 14 acres here, and um, then not long after that, some of you remember that, it it took years to get that property purchased, and then years to um, work on the whole issue of utilities and everything else. Then the church grew, and so we were asking to maybe buy 100 feet of additional land from the owner to put a couple of rows of parking in. And 
Well, then, now, you look at this, where we have so much that has just been generously, faithfully given. Otherwise, we couldn't do what we're doing now if we didn't have that gift. And that's not just a blessing to us. It's a blessing to our kids. It's a, it's a blessing to our, our grandkids. Wonderful gifts from the Lord. Wonderful gifts from the Lord's people. I'm a little hesitant to mention another category of gifts because I would never want anyone to think that, that our family wanted us to, or wanted anybody to give us something, or that's true for any of our pastors. But it's true. Every so often, somebody likes to, to give us some sort of a gift. Some of them are funny. We have a lot of comedians in this church. I'm not sure how such a staid, somber person as myself ended up pastoring a church with such individuals. But you may remember just a couple of Sundays ago, I told the sad story, it's a terrible sad story, of how I had um, dropped my keys in the airport uh, because I was wearing some uh, warm-up pants that didn't have pockets. Let's blame it on the pants. And so that was on Sunday. That was on Sunday. On Tuesday, the, the Amazon guy shows up with, with this at our house. It's a, a fanny pack. And by the way, I have no idea who sent this. I have no idea. And then there's also a, a pair of warm-up pants, and it's in, you can't really read it in that picture probably, but it, what it says, even on the label, with pockets, okay, with, with, with pockets. And, and I, I will say this, I have been wearing the warm-up pants. I, I do like them. And I'm sorry, this is probably a point of pride. I'm never putting that fanny pack on. I'm just telling you that. I'm sorry. Again, it's pride. I, I know I'll drop my keys every day. Every day. It's also kind when somebody chooses to, to buy a gift for the bear. You know, I was in Japan with a team of people a couple of weeks ago, and two different people, um, not knowing, um, bought us kimono bears for the bear and um, sent those home with us. And whenever the bear gets a bear, that means the bears are coming on the chair run. And so the, the kimono bears have been coming with us on our chair run. That's better, by the way, because the bear's second love is pumpkins. First love is bears. Second love is pumpkins. So sometimes he wants to go on the run with the pumpkin. And um, so we had one last year, 12 pounds. I weighed it on the scale. He's hauling that thing around. We're pushing it down the road. So at least we've got... But, but the gifts, that, that, that's the point I'm making. Just wonderful, wonderful gifts. Well, the reason, and I hope you have examples like that in your heart, where somebody gave you just something that stands out as being a wonderful gift. Well, the reason I'm asking you to think down this trail this morning is because 2,700 years ago, God made very specific prophecies about a gift that he was going to be delivering to the human race. And he described the gift in such a way that was intended to build great anticipation in the lives of people because the, this is part of what's so amazing about this. The, the, the prophecies occurred... 700 years before the gift was given. And there's also the potential delight not just in receiving this gift, but also with sharing it with someone else. With that in mind, let me invite you to open your Bible this morning to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, that's on page 492 of the, the front section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. So Isaiah chapter 9 or page 492 of the front section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. This morning we're beginning a new series for Christmas entitled Light of the World. And we're hoping to, to study um, four phrases or, or, or names of the Messiah in Isaiah 9-6 
that highlight different aspects of his character. I've always believed that one of the strongest reasons to become a follower of Jesus Christ is this very issue, the issue of fulfilled prophecy. What do you do with a gift that perfectly fulfills promises that were written down hundreds and, in some cases, thousands of years before they occurred? And the answer is, well, I suppose you could harden your heart and ignore the obvious implications and attendant decision that ought to be made, or we can bow your heart and bow your knee to a Savior who is wonderful, where you, you joyfully and you, you, you thankfully and you humbly accept this gift. A few weeks ago, we studied a very important verse in the New Testament where Peter explained that the Holy Spirit moved on the writers of Scripture to record words that were inspired of God. Here's what Peter said about that. 2 Peter 1.16, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales. Please remember that. Christmas is not that. We did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. I was going to talk for a moment about an event we call the Transfiguration. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And we, Peter said ourselves, we heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. So we have the the prophetic word, like Isaiah 9-6. We have the prophetic word made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention. So so what should we do with these prophecies we're studying? I hope the answer is pay attention as to a, a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in our hearts. But, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, the one we're studying all through Christmas, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. No human being could have done this. But men moved by the Holy Spirit, they, they spoke from God. And as I said, Peter's talking in this context about the transfiguration where Jesus gave some of his disciples a glimpse of what he would look like in his heavenly glory. You can read about that in Matthew 17 if you would like to. But the word order in the original text is very, very important. We have more sure the prophetic word. In other words, Peter's saying the experience of the transfiguration was fantastic, but our faith is in God's revealed Word. And here's what that means. These prophecies, like Isaiah 9-6, they're not cleverly devised tales. They're worthy of our trust. And what we're suggesting in this mini-series this Christmas is when you look at the prophecies... And then you look at the objective facts regarding the birth and the the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It takes your breath away. It really does. And this is important. It's marvelous news for a thousand reasons. But one of the ways I believe it fits into this particular year is I realize that that, that many, many here, that the majority of the people in our church family this year have been stretching pushing, working very aggressively in this first year of our Free to Dream strategic ministry plan. And we just came through Stewardship Month where many, many, many people have made commitments for what you believe God wants you to do in this next year. Well, it's good for us to agree with Peter. What is it that we're committing ourselves to? It's certainly not some cleverly devised tale 
And one of the reasons we know that is because of the miracle and the beauty of fulfilled prophecy. So Isaiah 9, let's begin this morning in verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence and with gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle, tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. Well, why? For a, a child will be born to us. Every one of these words in this verse is so very important. A child will be born to us. A a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And now here's his four names. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This morning we're thinking about the gift that is wonderful. And from these verses we want to especially focus on three reasons Jesus Christ is a a treasured gift. Is he that to you? I I hope he is. Now, Now our message today and all through the season are exegetical treatments of the second half of Isaiah 9, 6. These four names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and and, and Prince of Peace that are predicted to describe the person and work of Christ. Now, now, for our purposes this morning, you saw one of the key words in the verse is the word wonderful. That's why I started the message the way I did this morning. Very interesting concept in Scripture, and I'd like to think about specifically the word wonderful for a moment or two with you, and then we'll bring that back into what does it mean then for Jesus to be our, our wonderful counselor? So, so think first of all just about the word wonderful in the Bible. What does that mean? Well, it means unusual. Isaiah 25, 1, O Lord, you're my God, I will exalt you, I'll give thanks to your name, for you've worked, here it is, you've worked wonders, plans formed long ago with, with perfect faithfulness. That'd be a great verse, by the way, to commit to memory right here around Thanksgiving. I'll give thanks to your name because you've worked wonders. Well, what does that mean? Lord, the way you work is unusual. It captures our attention and it delights our heart. You've worked wonders. The opposite of actions that are predictable or or mundane or, or forgettable, they cause us to be surprised, captivated, enthralled. And I hope as you think about the way the Lord has worked in your life, you would say the exact same thing about Him. Oh, Lord, you're my God. I will exalt you. I'll give thanks to your name. You've worked wonders in my life, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. Another way of saying that is that God and His ways are, they're extraordinary. As in Psalm 77, 11, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I'll remember your 
your wonders of old. I'll meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You're the God who works, second time in the verse, wonders. You've made known your strength among the peoples. You have, by your power, redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. I think sometimes, and this is what I'm just trying to overcome here this morning, sometimes we use a word like wonderful so often that it loses its meaning. But when we just stop and look at passages of Scripture like this, you get the sense of one of God's children standing there with wide eyes and an open mouth saying things like, look at what God is like. Look at what He has done. Look at what He's doing now. It's producing wonder in my heart. Another emphasis is this aspect of being unique. Exodus 15, 11, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working, working wonders? And by the way, I'm not suggesting that these are distinct concepts. So when we look at these different uses and verses, it's not like a, a barrel of marbles where there are unique ideas or separate ideas, more like a barrel of molasses. This all overlaps and, and runs together. But the point is we need to sharpen our thinking about the word wonderful in order to really benefit from this prophecy. So when the Bible talks about someone or or, or something being wonderful, it's directing our minds to, to something that's unusual. It's extraordinary. It's unique. And it causes us to respond with with wonder. Well, now let's take that back to our passage. Three reasons Jesus Christ is a treasured gift. In what senses is he our our wonderful counselor? Well, he's wonderful because of his completeness. Think about the first half of that verse for a moment. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. What What is Isaiah telling us about the coming Messiah? What's the point? We're surely talking about the complete package. This is a gift that has it all. That's part of what makes Jesus so wonderful. So he's a a child who will be born, meaning that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man, emphasizing his humanity, which goes with another great Christmas verse in this book, Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name. We sang about this this morning. She'll call his name Emmanuel. So, so somehow God is going to become a man, but it has to occur outside of the normal process of human procreation. So there's no question about the transmission of the sin nature. Well, how in the world would that happen? The answer is wonderful. A virgin conception. There's something unusual and extraordinary and unique. And the real point is if that can occur, then then we can have God, we can have God with us, Emmanuel. The apostles never got over that. So John said, and the word became flesh. See, a child was born. And dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or Paul said in Colossians, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the, the hope of glory, that this child who will be born will be wonderful. 
And then Isaiah said, not just that, but a son will be given. Jesus is also the, the son of God. And it's interesting that the word born is not repeated. Right? A, a child will be born, but a, a son will be given. This is why we refer to Jesus Christ as the, the God-man. He was 100% God, and he was 100% man. The, the theological balance in this statement is incredible. He's also a king who will rule because the government will be on his shoulders. And we believe that ultimately that will be fulfilled when Christ returns to the earth after the seven-year tribulation and establishes his millennial kingdom. A 1,000-year rule and reign on this earth. Think of what that will be like, ruling and leading from the throne of David. That's what the book of Revelation is all about, in concert with, with all of the prophecies in the Old Testament that have yet to be fulfilled. But for every person who's already trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, those kingdom conditions to some degree can be lived out right now in one's heart and one's life and certainly in our church. And when you put all that together, we have a prophecy about a Messiah who will possess attributes of humanity and attributes of deity and attributes of lordship. So he's personal. A child will be born. He's perfect. A, a son will be given. He, he's powerful. The, the government will be upon his shoulders. And, and I realize you might say, boy, Pastor Varys, this is pretty heavy doctrinally. I mean, this is Thanksgiving weekend for crying out loud. Lighten up. Plus, we beat IU. I mean, we, we don't need to be heavy. Well, you know, this is a time of year where all of the activity and and all the, the busyness and maybe even the sentimentality, it's fine in its place, but, but that can take our focus away from what is truly wonderful about this gift. And friends, all that, that busyness and all that, that activity and all the excitement is going to last till, well, maybe December 26th or 27th. But, but the wonder of the theological aspects of the gift can last far longer. That's the meat of the holiday, and that's where we want our primary focus to be. Can I ask you to pause and reflect on how wonderful it is that God has given us a Savior who's so complete? We needed someone who was personal, so a child was born. We needed someone who could pay for our sin, so a son was given we needed someone who could lead our lives, so a, a ruler was provided. It's like the hymn writer said, Christ is, he's all I need. We, we marvel at his completeness. We, we marvel at his sufficiency. He's, he's wonderful. Now, it's in that context that Isaiah gives us this first name for the Messiah. And you could summarize it like this. Jesus is wonderful because of his completeness, but he's also wonderful because of his counsel. And I realize some of you may have memorized this verse um, back when you were a child. And if you memorized it, when, at least for some of us, when you were a child, you were probably memorizing it out of the King James Version, right? The King James, if it was good enough for John the Baptist, it's good enough for us. I mean, many of us, we just memorized a lot of our, our verses out of the King James. And if you did that, you might have memorized this as if Wonderful and Counselor were two separate names. His name should be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, as if it was five names. 
Now, this isn't a, a hill to die on, but, but we think it's probably best that, to think about it as, as four dual names. So, so wonderful is not separate from counselor. It's wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the everlasting Father and, and Prince of Peace. And again, we're, we're not going to die on that particular hill, but, but if that's the case, and, and we think it is, what, what that means is 700 years before the birth of Christ, God wanted us to know that one of Jesus' marvelous attributes was that his words, his counsel, it was going to be wonderful. And I want to encourage you now, now take everything that we saw earlier about the word wonderful and the way that it's used in the Bible and then bring it back into that. How is the, the, the counsel of Jesus Christ wonderful? And, and is it wonderful to you? Well, it's wonderful in that his words are often so unexpected. How many times have you found yourself studying the life of Christ or the words of Christ and thought, I would have never expected the Messiah to say it that way. I would have never expected Jesus to to say it that way. Let's take something as simple as John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We would have expected salvation to be totally different than that, right? Not a gift that we receive by faith. We would have assumed salvation is something you have to earn by your own deeds. You work for it. You have to earn it. And it wouldn't be something that you could know for sure. The Messiah would keep you in the dark, so you'd always be doubting. So you'd be working, 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 always doubting, not sure. And if you ever messed up, bam, you'd take it from you. That's the way many of us would have expected salvation to be. In fact, for many of us, if we were designing salvation, that's the way we might have designed it. Thinking, well, that's the way you keep human beings in tow. You make them earn it. You keep them guessing. And you take it from them the moment they messed up. We might have thought that's the best way to do it. Aren't you glad we're not God? Yeah. Aren't you glad instead we have a counselor who's what? who's wonderful, and everything about the salvation that he offers us is, is unexpected. Now, now, the fact that his words are so often unexpected provides a challenge, doesn't it? See, do you want a God who's telling you things you would have already expected or who's surprising you at every turn? Because let's just face this. Sometimes when we hear something that we didn't expect, we want to reject it. Right? We wrongly assume it can't be correct unless I already thought it. So if it's different than what I expected, if it's different than what I would have said, it must be wrong. <laughs> Being given a, a, a wonderful counselor means we're going to be reading things in His Word that are often going to surprise us and often going to challenge our thinking. And I would just ask you this morning, are you ready for that? And are you prepared and willing to conform your thoughts to his when the wonderful counselor surprises you? I think the fact that that's the case can also be a blessing because you get to share a message. It's wonderful. It's so unexpected. Pastor Johnny mentioned about the the many who have signed up to serve in the living nativity. Thank you for doing that. But, but just think about 
a percentage of those from our community that will come through the living nativity. And what do they think salvation is? Well, it's what I was talking about before. You, you, you earn it. You have to do it. I'm not sure that I... What do we have for them? We have a message that's absolutely wonderful. That's why woven into the Living Nativity presentation is repeated clear presentations of the gospel. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's why in the Living Nativity we don't just have the manger. That's why we've always had scenes that are about the cross and about the empty tomb. And I want to encourage you to pray for men and women who will be coming through the nativity this year and for the first time will hear the message of salvation that's absolutely wonderful. And we're hoping somewhere around scene seven, scene eight, scene nine, there will be men and women, boys and girls, who will, for the very first time, place their faith and trust in the wonderful counselor. Don't you love doing that? Don't you love being involved in a ministry at Christmas time that um, proclaims that message? There will be other folks coming to the Living Nativity who probably got drug here, right? That the family threw them in the car, and they may think that, well, God's not interested in me, or I've messed up too badly. I, I've messed up so bad. I got so much bad work over here. I couldn't do enough good. Uh, to overcome it, if I, if I started being really good the rest of my days, I, it's, I'm hopeless, I'm hopeless. Don't we want people like that coming to the living nativity too? And aren't you glad for the privilege and the opportunity to proclaim a message, friends, that is absolutely wonderful, that there's room at the cross for you. That's what we want every person who comes through the nativity. And I, I hope a couple of things about the nativity this year. Listen, it's going to be different. Right? With the construction, we had to decide, are we even going to have the nativity? And some of you may remember, I was standing right here in this spot. It was, it was on the Lord's Day. I was standing at the sacred desk. It was on a church family night, and I just mentioned casually that we had thought about maybe not doing the nativity this year because of the construction. I just said that. Do you remember the response of the church family that night? The church family actually booed me. <laughs> I, I just mentioned it, and I was booed. And did I mention, I, I was right here at the sacred desk on the Lord's Day, booed in my own church. That's what happened. And that was actually a delightful moment because I, I love the fact that, listen, it doesn't matter if we've got to change things around. And what that's going to require, we're going to have to be patient with each other. A lot of good people have been trying to think through all the details. I'm sure there's some things we forgot. I'm sure we're going to not have it all, all right. But we still want to do the living nativity anyway, don't we? And we will put up with whatever um, difficulty that comes in order to uh, make it work this year. And I would also just, I mention this often around this time of year, Zechariah 4.6. I know we've been doing it a long time, but I hope we'll bathe it in prayer because it's not by might, it's not by power, but by thy spirit, saith the Lord. And Jesus is also wonderful in that his words are worthy of remembering you know, many times when you see the word wonderful in the Bible, there's an emphasis on consciously choosing to remember it. And the principle is the more you consider something to be wonderful, the more likely you are to want to commit it to memory. We saw that in Psalm 77. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I'll remember. Here it is, your wonders of old. And so I hope you would say that you work harder at memorizing the words of Christ you work harder at memorizing the words of Scripture than, than any other document. Why? 
Because you consider this right here, you consider it to be wonderful. And you would agree with statements like Colossians 2, 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's our, our wonderful counselor. We want to memorize his word. Or Ephesians 1, 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge. How do you get that? By memorizing his word. 1 Corinthians 1, 23, we preach Christ crucified the Jews a stumbling block and the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the, the wisdom of God. And so why? You have so many things to read, so many things to think about, so many things to potentially commit to memory. But why is it that far above any other human document would you place the Word of God? You want to know it. You want to meditate upon it. Why? Because you've concluded that those are the words from the counselor who is wonderful. Now, there's a negative aspect of this. You're in Isaiah 9. Just turn over a couple of chapters to Isaiah 29 and see another use of this word wonder, but it's in a, a negative context for sure. So Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13 then the Lord said, because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but, but they, they remove their hearts far from me and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I'll once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed it's wonderful in that there are consequences to disobeying his counsel. See, everybody has the freedom to decide, are, are you going to obey the words of Christ? But what we don't have the freedom to decide is the consequences. So when you choose to do what God says to do, there are great blessings, more than we could ever believe. And many people here can give testimony to that fact, which is why you want to pay such careful attention to the words of the wonderful counselor. But if we choose to disobey, be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And many of us regrettably could give testimony to the truth of that as well. So he's wonderful because of his completeness, and he's wonderful because of his counsel. And lastly, he's wonderful because of his ability to change people. See, this prophecy was given in a context to help God's people live in anticipation of what a great gift the Heavenly Father would be giving. Well, we live on the other side now of the prophecy being fulfilled. And think about the impact the wonderful counselor can have to draw people to himself. Words like, here's counsel, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. You know, I realize you might be here and you've not heard the gospel before, or you've never had a time in your life where you admitted that you can't earn your own way to heaven, and you acknowledged your sin, and then you placed your faith and trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. Friends, I believe the wonderful counselor would say something like this to you this morning. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we're very, very glad I can't tell you how glad we are that God has blessed our church family this year with so many new men and women, so many new boys and girls. It just, it's just, well, it's wonderful. 
But, but part of the concern is that there's a difference between starting to attend a church and, and knowing that you know that you know that you're on your way to heaven. And if you're not absolutely certain about that, the wonderful counselor would want you today, I, I absolutely believe this, would want you today in the quietness of this moment to pray something like, Father, I know I'm a sinner, and I want to ask Jesus Christ to be my Savior and my Lord. I want him to pay for my sin. I want him to take charge of my life. And if you've done that today for the first time, I want to encourage you to, to tell someone about that, that now you're staking your eternal destiny on the words of the, the wonderful counselor. He also fills our hearts with hope. You remember what he said to, P, uh, to Paul? When Paul was discussing his thorn in the flesh, he said, here's counsel, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul said, I'll boast about my weaknesses so that in the power of Christ may dwell in me. And I would encourage you to take the, the biggest challenge you're currently facing today, maybe one that you worried about all the way over to the church house this morning. If that's the case, by the way, I'm glad you came anyway, even if your heart was greatly troubled this morning. Hear these words of the wonderful counselor and let them be... Um, a, a balm for your soul. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. His wonderful counselor, uh, counsel can also help us to know how to relate to one another. You're going to be spending some time with your family around Christmas, huh? Uh, uncle so-and-so, aunt, so, you, you know what I'm talking about? The kind of people that are kind of hard to get along. What, what are you going to do? What, what are you going to do? Well, I hope you're going to remember the words of the wonderful counselor. What are you going to do with Uncle Joe? Argue about politics? Now nah, you're going you're gonna to love him. What, what, what are you going to do when, when Aunt Susie makes that cranberry thing again? You're going to love her. You're just, you're just going to love her. What, what are you going to do? And you know what I'm talking about. Some of these situations are much more serious. And, and what are we relying on? We're relying on the words of the wonderful counselor and to call us to a, a, a counterintuitive life, a sacrificial and a, a purposeful life. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Those are the words of the wonderful counselor and take up his cross and, and follow me. This week I, I had an opportunity to be reminded of what it looks like when someone is following the wonderful counselor, even when it's hard. I, I was down at the rehab hospital in Indianapolis where Pete Seams is right now. Um, you probably know by now, Pete, uh, for those who are new to our church, a 73-year-old gentleman who he and his wife Barb have been members of this church for a long time. Pete had a very serious bicycle accident, and um, Pete's not able to walk, at, the, at least at this point he's not able to move um, anything from his waist down. Now, you know, the Lord can do whatever the Lord wants to do, and Pete is a very determined person, and he's going to work as hard as he possibly can um, in his rehab. There's, there's no doubt about that. But the, the percentage likelihood that he'll ever be walk again is, is very low, about 8%, the doctors have said. There's no doubt, there's no doubt that, that Pete and Barb's lives have been um, dramatically impacted. We're, we're going to have opportunities as a church family to come around and, and love them for sure. And I wasn't sure, you're never sure as a pastor when you walk into a situation like that exactly 
um, the condition that the person will be in mentally and emotionally and spiritually, and we want to serve any way we can. We, we want to, and, and we certainly are not asking anyone to put some sort of an act on because the preacher showed up, okay? We, we want it real. We want it raw. It was interesting in talking to, to Pete. Pete is on a mission. And you say, he's on a mission to, to walk? No, no, Pete is on a mission to evangelize every person who comes in that room. And, and he could tell you. And we talked about various nurses that he's been able to have conversations with, various physicians, various people there in the hospital. He just wants to be sure that he's told every person that comes in contact with him about the Lord Jesus Christ and about the the wonderful gift that has been given and the opportunity to place one's faith and trust in Christ. And I I left that that visit the other day, and this this happens to me so often. You walk into a visit like that hoping to be an encouragement, and you walk away being challenged um, at at the way um, God is enabling people to handle situations that are hard. Why is that? It's because Pete knows the wonderful counselor. And Pete's going to choose in the middle of this incredible trial to look to those words for his guidance. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, it is, it does, it takes our breath away to to think that a, a prophet like Isaiah could be led by you to write words that were clearly inspired and to think now about how these kind of prophecies have been perfectly fulfilled in the the life and the birth and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Father, please forgive us for the times when we don't consider his counsel to be particularly wonderful because it cuts across our grain or it demands some sort of change that we might not want to make. And so, Lord, I pray, I pray that we would be the kind of people who who would joyfully accept the counsel of our Savior and then humbly follow it. We pray this in his name. Amen.